You're listening to Supervision with a Vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today, Heather and I are talking about incorporating social justice into diagnosis. This week, we read Conceptualizing Diagnosis Through a Social Justice Lens, published in Counseling Today, 2023. Um, So, Heather, the first point the article made is that historically, there has been a lot of bias within diagnosis. Right. We can look back over the course of I don't know, probably a hundred years, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And look at things that were diagnoses that we don't use anymore or that they don't mean the same thing anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Women were often diagnosed with hysteria. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely women. Didn't they apply hysteria plus something else to like lots of people? Anybody Anybody who was acting in a way that they, that didn't fit the majority culture norm. Right. Was, it was hysteria. A label. Right. It was right. a label. Here, you have a label of hysteria. You mm-hmm. you are grieving, so you are hysteria. You are, yeah. you know. Um, so with women, what was, what was it that we were labeling? I mean, was it like PMS? Probably. Right. Or maybe people that had like severe PMS or maybe uh-huh. postpartum. Oh, yeah. I mean, postpartum, that could be easily sure. yeah. misplaced. I also think maybe people got labeled that just because they had a counterculture idea. Mm-hmm. Like women that wanted to wear pants. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or something. You know. They've got to be hysterical, <laughs> right? Um, what about uh, like true psychosis? We didn't mm-hmm. always call it psychosis. Was it hysteria? I think it was hysteria. A long time? Yeah. So any hysteria, fill in the blank, right? Anything that was outside of what the majority culture norm. Well, was and then like. looking at different like cultures, even just looking in the United States at different cultures, depending on what maybe their spiritual beliefs were, you could even bring oh, yeah. in at different levels of some people might think that that's hysterical and yeah. other cultures may not think that. So right, it's, definitely. it's like a odd mix. Yeah. Um, what about some examples that are a little more current? Can you think of any? Um, one, as we were prepping for the show and I didn't think of it till we started talking ADHD. How did we not talk about that in advance? Yeah. yeah. I mean, when that became a diagnosis a long, long time ago, I'm not talking about anything current. It was like for any kid that was hyperactive. Any like, wiggly kid. Right. Slap it on him. Mm-hmm. They didn't obey the right rules in school. Oh, he's ADHD. Yeah. Oh, like, right. So any kindergartner who couldn't sit for a full school day. Right. There you go. There you go. There's right. a label. So mm-hmm. I think that's, and I think that changes through the time, right? Like mm-hmm. there was a period of time where that made sense and you had a label. So it felt, well, at least you had a reason. Mm-hmm. And then I think it went the opposite way. Like, you don't want your kid to have this, you know, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, sure. Um, what about, I think increasingly more and more and more, we're moving towards language in, in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is used in the United States and is really a counterpart to the ICD-10. Right. Um, more and more, the language in the DSM is that, if it's not better explained by cultural, mm-hmm. religious beliefs, that in a lot of diagnostic criteria, that's included at the bottom. Right. That if so, which can you think of an example of a diagnosis where you go, oh, 
but that's cultural. Right. Or, oh, but that's that, but that's related to their religion. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I mean, easy, obvious ones to me are eating disorder criteria mm-hmm. that, um, based on your religion, there might be a, a period of time every year that you fast. Right. And you wouldn't call that restrictive eating, right? Which would could be diagnosed as right. part of an eating disorder. Right. It would be better explained by mm-hmm. a religion. We had a family one time at a place I worked uh, where we dealt with a lot of grieving families, mm-hmm. and in their culture. Um, and I'm not going to remember exactly what their culture was. I believe it was Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. They believed in spirits and ghosts. Mm-hmm. And so part of their grief process was they wanted to be visited by their lost oh, one. Yes. And so they were anticipating it and waiting for it. And we really had to kind of um, incorporate some of that into our groups because mm-hmm. it was important to them. And that was the mm-hmm. families that were mm-hmm. coming at the time. So yeah. uh, that is something that could easily get misdiagnosed. If someone comes yes. in and says, I'm seeing my uncle Joe. Right. <laughs> like, right. Here he is in front um, of me. I got excited because I, uh, it's been a while now. It's probably a really old episode of a podcast. Um, and it was in an Asian country. I want to say it was specifically Japan. Okay. Um, but there was this whole, this whole phenomenon going on that some, this guy, he lost his wife. he, got a telephone booth, like okay. an antique telephone booth, and put it in his garden. Okay. So it was this really beautiful space right. with a telephone booth in it. And he would go in the telephone booth and pick up the phone and talk to her. Ah, uh, okay. And over time, it became a thing to go do. Right. So it was something- not just he would do it, but more people in the community and people mm-hmm. were even traveling to come and mm-hmm. sit in his telephone booth. And... I do think that it, in some parts of our culture, in our American culture, that would be seen as yeah. dysfunctional. Right. They would be like, what? No. That's right. Like, and how long have you been coming to right. the telephone booth? Right. Years? Right. This is a problem. Don't you know, in America, we only get three days to grieve. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. And then you're off paid leave. You're back to work. Um, but in in their culture, it was really accepted, appropriate, Forma, right. encouraged. People mm-hmm. really were... I mean, like I said, they traveled long ways to come right. and do this. And think, can you imagine letting a lot of people into your backyard? Right, all the time. Like, right. you just have a line. Yes, yeah. you may come in. Right. But that he, this person who had the telephone booth in his backyard was totally accepting of that. Like, right. oh, you're here for the booth? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I think that's a good example. The way that we grieve, um, the way we practice religion. Right. Um, another eating disorder example. A lot of times... Someone with an eating disorder diagnosis is making combinations of food that aren't acceptable. Oh, right. Okay. But according to who? Right. Right. According so, to yeah. I mean, I, a long time ago, and I, I do know that this f- treatment facility has gotten better about this. I worked for a facility and a kid wanted to order an eating disorder facility and a kid wanted to order um, eggs and beans and tortillas for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And the staff went, oh, no, Mm-mm. nope, against the rules. Those are not foods that are eaten together. And I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> breakfast burrito. Right. I mean, and I, you're like, wait, where are we? Yeah, <laughs> we're in Texas. We're absolutely kids are eating breakfast burritos right. or tacos or something for breakfast. Right. Um, so adjusting that to being more culturally accepting. Absolutely. Inclusive. Um, so we definitely have a history of bias within mm-hmm. the way that we diagnose. Okay, so if we're we're going to improve on this, right? How do we begin to conceptualize diagnosis from a social justice perspective? So I think one of the things I talk with my supervisees about often is always, always when you're sitting in session and something comes up that seems like, huh, 
like perks your interest or seems strange. Mm-hmm. That's your cue to be thinking about the why. Like mm-hmm. why could it be, why could your client be seeing Uncle Joe and like mm-hmm. really feel like he's seeing Uncle Joe? Mm-hmm. Why? And so if you're asking the why question about what they're presenting to you, you're more likely to think about other things. You're more likely to think about, oh, is this cultural? Is this their family dynamic? Mm-hmm. Is there another explanation for it? So you've got to gather more information, right? You've got to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. I think that relates to the way that I think about kids that maybe they are reporting or some adult in their life is reporting what they think is psychosis. Mm -hmm. That if I said to a kid, do you hear and see things that other people don't hear and see? I think there's a fair number of kids that would say, yeah. Uh But right. then you ask follow-up questions. Right. Okay, so what is this that you're – describe right. it to me. Or right. when you hear something, tell me what does it sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I ask when I'm asking about uh, auditory – potential auditory mm-hmm. hallucination is where is it coming from? Where is right. the noise coming from? Right. That if immediately they point inside their head, mm-hmm. then probably right. not a hallucination, right. but maybe like right. they're self-conscious mm-hmm. or – um, some something someone else has said to them, they right. like um, internal dialogue, mm-hmm. not an auditory hallucination. Right. But if they point like to a physical space in the room, right, like over here, mm-hmm. like, it's a little different. Maybe right. maybe we are dealing with an auditory hallucination. So I'm asking more questions, and right. that could you're saying any. I like the idea that that a cue to a supervisee is anything that makes you think, hmm, or wait, right. What is that about? Like perks your interest, then ask more questions. I had a situation recently, not the supervisee. It was actually my own situation that a client reported to me that words coming out of their mouth, like certain words have color association. Mm -hmm. And they tried to for a good 20 minutes. Explain that. Explain it and, and tell me about it. And I just took a pause and remembered who this client was and mm-hmm. went that's so great that you read that on wherever oh. because this client is notorious uh-huh. for kind of making up some diagnoses yeah. and making up some you know I mean, things if i heard someone say that i would i again per, it would break right. my interest and i would start listening right. and, and asking more ask questions, questions. <laughs> but it would cross my mind to wonder if they were high oh yeah and i mean this that you know mm-hmm. especially for a lot of my adolescents yeah. that come in would be a normal normal that, that could be <laughs> a thing that's right. happening so I mean, we're not saying yes or no to a diagnosis, but maybe considering that there's a possibility of a different diagnosis right. also. Right. Something else could be going on. Right. Not that we'd give a diagnosis for any substance use, but that that's a different kind of label than. Right. It's very different. A hallucination. Mm-hmm. True hallucination. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so do you think, does that say it well that if you're conceptualizing and you're trying to do that from a social justice perspective, you've got to lean in and listen and ask more questions and maybe think about the way that you're asking your question Mm -hmm. to get more information, to get context. Right. Context is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, The last step in the article or the last point the article made was um, integrating social justice and diagnosis. What, how do you do that? So I think when you are talking diagnoses with a client, with a supervisee, with a parent of a client, with a family Mm -hmm. member, one of the things that you always have to be conscious of is not just, yes, some of it's cultural and some of it's going to be just very social uh, constructs, but also what's their, fa- how is their family going to react? Like their specific 
interaction. So mm-hmm. when you're talking to a family and everyone in the family has anxiety and you're about to give an anxiety diagnosis, okay, well, that makes very good sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very mm-hmm. like, that's going to be easy. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, if no one in the family has ever had any kind of mental health diagnosis and you're talking to them about it, you have to be very aware of what will this mean to the family. You have some families that come in that need a diagnosis. They mm-hmm, want the mm-hmm. they want the label. Mm-hmm. And you have other families that come in and they just don't. they don't at all. Yeah. And so I think having that awareness and knowing how to be most helpful to your client mm-hmm. is really kind of where that's like mm-hmm. step number one. Like, what is your purpose? Yeah. You know, I wasn't thinking about it that way, but even uh, this week, my a group of my supervisees asked each other, I think, mm-hmm. um, are all parents seeking a diagnosis for their kid? And it was such a good group, mm-hmm. a good combination of supervisees at that moment that each one of them was able to provide a different perspective. That's nice. E- either professionally or personally mm-hmm. that they could say, well, I mean, some examples were, yeah, some of my clients come in wanting, seeking a diagnosis. And at the same time, another supervisee said, I have a lot of people come in and they want reassurance that they don't have a diagnosis. Right. So there, there's a lot of context even there. What what will this diagnosis mean to this person or this family? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking if I'm going to really focus on social justice and diagnosis and how right. they go together, um, that it takes work. Oh, very much intentionality. I don't think you can do that on an island. No. Like you just all by myself. I'm not going to come up with brand new ideas unless I have new input, new opinions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I'd have to consult. Absolutely. So if I'm maybe I'm working with a client and I feel like their background or experience is significantly different than mine that I might somehow reach out, Mm -hmm. get educated, you know, read, ask somebody. Right. Somebody else's opinion. Even if it's just someone, maybe I can't find someone with the exact background as the other person, but even just saying it out loud or, or being able to bounce ideas off of. Right. Like, does this make sense? Am I on the right track? Mm -hmm. Have you had this experience before? But I think, so it's about educating yourself on those mm-hmm. things. But I think it's also that call for social justice means you're, you're educating others as well, oh, whether okay. that's your supervisees or your clients even. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because as you work with different populations, you're going to see different responses to mm. the same diagnosis. Yeah. I like, I mean, you and I said that to each other before we hit record, um, that both of us heard about a, a, mm-hmm. the same exact same diagnosis within a couple of weeks of each other. And we both went, hmm, I'm going to have to read about that. Yeah. Or <laughs> um, I'm, let me get back to you. I'm going to do mm-hmm. a little homework and then, you know, right. have, have a more informed opinion. Right. Um, what about, I think those are good examples of micro steps or micro mm-hmm. ways of incorporating social justice into diagnosis. But what if we're thinking really big picture? What does that look like for a counselor trying to incorporate social justice into a diagnosis. I think if we're going bigger picture, you're looking at staying on top of like, are you talking about your own personal growth? Like, I think to me that would be micro, but I don't know. What are you thinking? I'm thinking like taking it to the, being aware of the constructs around you. Like a lot of us, uh, me in particular, I do this. If I've had too much of like news 
culture or that kind of stuff coming mm-hmm. in. I'm like, ah, turn it off, turn it mm-hmm. off. Like I don't want to mm-hmm. listen anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and so I'll do that. And then I won't engage for, it's almost becomes a pattern. Like mm-hmm. I want to block some of that off mm-hmm. and then I am not um, present or I'm not as aware of something that's going on that maybe mm-hmm. came up on just a talk show or a, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. I'm not, if I'm not engaged, then I am not likely to, I don't want to say remember, but not likely to stay on my game uh-huh, to make uh-huh. sure I am incorporating mm-hmm. it. I was thinking, well, I, you and I have presented with each other before. I think that's reaching a larger group of people, right? I, the last time we presented, we were talking about supervision and we didn't speak to a group of people who were all supervisors or a group of people who all were not supervisors. Right. It was a mixed group, right? but I think we brought some new ideas to them yeah. specifically about uh, supervision and inclusivity. We right. kind of focused we did on, focus on that. Um, but what about if you're thinking about a specific diagnosis and maybe you, you feel like you're going to present on a topic mm-hmm. and emphasize inclusivity or right. diversity or social justice within that. Right. Really making that the point. So mm-hmm. educating yourself, but also educating mm-hmm. others that are in your, um, what about, does this feel like a micro example or a macro example? I know I talked to you about this a couple of weeks ago that, and it's happened again recently, um, that my, I have some clients that have had psychosocial assessments. Oh, yes. That were Is the season really <laughs> kind of poorly done. Right. Um, and the recommendations and the conclusion I thought were not well written. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the time I asked you, is this so poorly done? Would you reach out to someone? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a bigger micro yep. example or macro, macro example yeah. that I, my hope would be that the clinician that cr- that completed the assessment would more closely look at the so diagnosis they're right. giving or the recommendations mm-hmm. they're giving or and hope like in this example, um, have more of a social justice lens when they're right. writing those. Right. And if that's what they do all the time, that potentially has a bigger impact. Right. Absolutely. So maybe giving other people, uh, other clinicians feedback, Mm -hmm. maybe um, educating or training. I think we're doing that through supervision. Right. We really are. I mean, that's, and I know uh, that my supervisee has shared with other supervisees on her same, like, Mm -hmm. with like, oh, well, my supervisor said this way. And, and there's a conversation that happens from that. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, every time you bring it up, every time you make it a point, you're being intentional about education. Mm -hmm. I don't, so with, uh, with great responsibility comes, Great. Is it, is that the saying great responsibility comes great reward? Yeah. I feel like that could be, uh, you know, a catchphrase for supervision, mm-hmm. um, that we do have the ability to create a lot of impact. It is a big responsibility. Absolutely. Also. Uh, well, we, Heather and I would love to hear about specific ways that you're incorporating social justice into the way that you diagnose and, um, any ideas for future episodes. And thanks for listening to supervision with a vision.